The money to keep the mansion, the sharp name, the mines. The marriages were for money, of course. But the horror, the horror was for love. The things we do for love like this are ugly, mad, full of sweat and regret. This love burns you and maims you and twists you inside out. It is a monstrous love. And it makes monsters of us all. exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello and welcome to the podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the Fear of God podcast. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. And typically with me, everyone, is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And, well, he was here a minute ago, but he said he needed to go check on his sister, which is fine, I, I guess. Uh, they're close, I think. Uh, you know, whatever. He'll be back soon. Hopefully. Uh, in the meantime, allow me to welcome you back to our year-long, uh, uh, what is quickly coming to the end of a year-long umbrella series, that of 2020-2020, where we have been examining 20 films from the last 20 years in the year 2020. Get it? To know more about the intention behind the series, go check out our pre-cap episode from the end of January. You will not be disappointed. Um, today, we are looking at the year 2015, not 2009, as my notes suggest. But I am getting ahead of myself or behind. doesn't matter. Because here at The Fear of God, we explore. We absolutely do not explain. Don't come to us for explanations. Except right now. When I explain that you can listen to The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform, you can watch The Fear of God on ye old YouTube, and you can browse The Fear of God on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com, where you'll find episode archives and merchandise, including campaign buttons. Good thing we don't totally need those anymore, I think. Uh, face masks, magnets, t-shirts, pillows. Read! Read! Hey, buddy! How's, how's the family? <laughs> got, got no comment whatsoever for that opening. Oh, uh, we will soon no enough. Comment. Hey, um, <laughs> how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. How 20, are you? 2015. That was this five is years crazy. ago. 
It's crazy. It's crazy. And that <sighs> reminds me of a joke that I saw on I Twitter. I wish I do journal. Um, I don't as often as I used to. I used to rather you can voraciously. Be with us. No, it's no, I don't. Me. No, no, I don't as often as I used to. Like occasionally, my version of journaling would be like sort of making notes. Looking at Facebook my, memories. No, making notes on my phone or uh, a, a lot of times what I'll do these days more so than journaling is that l- little voice memos that I record that I just hmm. save for myself. And that yeah. way I'm just kind of thinking out loud. Um, yeah. But uh, I used to. Mainly I was thinking of, I think that's laudable to record your thoughts in any fashion uh, is worthwhile, much like Mia Wasikowska in, in, uh, in this film as a writer. Um, but I was just thinking about the year 2015 and how that feels like a just, you know, sunnier time. Yeah. And how it'd be, it'd be nice to like tangibly remember yeah what i was doing in 2015 i saw a tweet that said so basically every person in 2015 who was asked the question where do you see yourself in five years was wrong so Mm, yeah yeah Yeah. well you know i guess it depends on how (laughs) was that one guy like how many dimensions are we covering at that point you know (laughs) like still married still a dad (laughs) oh that's uh you know Still hanging with you. <laughs> oh, <God>. um, <laughs> so, Riri, it's business time, and we did not discuss oh, this at is. all. Um, no, it is. So, I'm going to let you pitch whatever voting might remain. Okay. And yes. then I'll throw out an item or two. Okay. So, as of right now, you need to go to fearofgodpodcast.com, click on the banner on the top. The voting surveys for the remainder of hashtag 2020 2020 that are still open for you to vote as of this episode are 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020. But the the clock is swiftly ticking and your window is swiftly closing. So if you want to influence the votes on any of the last four or five years, then you need to go where I told you to go. If you want to vote. If you want to vote. Influence the vote. That's got kind of like a weird... Oh, that's true. Headline yeah, that's, grabbing connotation to it. Yeah, that is Don't true. influence the way to, way to make it, such a pla- <laughs> such a passive comment so volcanically charged. So I mean, yes. it's the year to do that of voting. We, our whole our whole shtick this year has if been about voting, to, and I'm just borrowing the language. Yeah, if you want what? to, if you want to uh, make your opinions known in a fashion that will be tallied and aggregated fairly. Where we will count every single one of the votes. That is, yeah. do that not is the place to call go us to do that. No. Blake and pressure us to throw out some votes. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Blake. Uh, we know we know you're it. thinking about it. We know you've thought about it multiple times. Uh, we know him. No, don't do don't <laughs> he do is it. But in all seriousness, listeners, fear of God yeah. banner at the top. Your time is short. Go vote on the last few 2017, surveys. 18, 19, and twenty. Yes. Unbelievable. It's crazy. Did you ever think we'd finish the series? I don't know. I'm not convinced we're gonna, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll just, we'll hope for the best. Um, so, uh, we also, Riri, we are going to be taking January off, at least in a formal fashion. Maybe we'll True. have a few, few little, little, I don't know, surprises pop up. Okay. Uh, yeah. but you know, standard episodes are going to be a bit on hiatus. Um, a way listeners can connect with us. Yes. And may regret shortly thereafter is through the <laughs> is through the Facebook group, the fear of God Facebook group. Um, True. There's conversations about other movies, about books, about, you know, 
just all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, photos true. of Reed dressed as Ernest, if you want to go dig up those. That is um, one of my favorite photos. Yes, it's true. I'm sure. I'm sure. So come join the Facebook group. We would love to have you. Um, yeah, we'd love to have you. Um, do you want to do you want to pitch for a review and then we'll move on? Yeah, so so we had mentioned a couple of weeks ago uh, and have that, like, we're as of this recording, on our iTunes and Apple podcast reviews, we are still sitting at 78 reviews. Uh, the overwhelming majority of them are very positive, and we're very grateful for them. It would be great to close the year out with an even 80. So if you are listening and you listen to us through Apple Podcasts or iTunes, um, and you have not gone to deliver us a review, we would love for you to give us a review, preferably a five-star one. Uh, in, yeah. in fact, if you're I, sitting here wanna... and you're thinking, you know what? I'd really love to review those jerks and give them one star. We, we <laughs> would like you to hold, please. We would like yeah. you to, to, uh, just bite your tongue. Sir. Yes. <laughs> or madam. <laughs> yes. Have at thee. Um, but, uh, but no, if you've been, uh, if you never have and you would like to, please, by all means, it would be a wonderful little present to end the year you with know, 80 reviews. It is totally in keeping with me to, to quibble with some phraseology here, but, Ever the diplomat, Reed Lackey, you're like, the overwhelming majority of them are positive. Reed, we have 78 reviews on there. They are literally all positive. There's one four-star no, review, yes, one four-star thing, so screw you, person. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey. that's, still, that's still great. I'm totally kidding. That's still great. <laughs> yes. I, I just love your... your don't both sides us, Reed. Don't don't what about us? You know we we're no, we're good. They, the people like us. No, they are they, they are all positive, and we are grateful for every one of them. So yes, thank you, <laughs> thank you very very much. But but we are so oh. grateful for them. You know, it's yeah. it's like the old Simpsons joke where Mr. Burns says, "Yes, I do have a lot, but I'd give it all away for a little more." You know, we. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we, we would love wow. we yes. would love just two more just just two more we are you know we decried it slightly last week but we are capitalists we want more well yeah. that's true that's true yeah so riri we are about to have a conversation about a film from 2015 and before that we're gonna have a conversation about a listener voted top 10 horror list from 2015 but before that Reed, it's been a little while. I missed these. I missed oh my these. Gosh. I have yes. actually been consuming some stuff. We are going to do a what you watching, what you reading, what you listening to. It's been a while. Oh my gosh! I know. I know. I'm gonna pull up. Who do so we have we've on, got. Who do we have on the docket today? Well, I'm glad you asked, friend <laughs> of friends. Um, so we people love the listener what you're watching so much that we've got repeat entries from <gasps> what? some listeners and we are going to share uh two and two different ones this is abnormal for us but okay abby normal here we are um mm. we are going to share two new ones but they're from two uh, uh foggers uh the first is from vera gowdy she months ago sent another what you're watching of her kid singing mm. it it was quite lovely um yes. and so this is her and then we're going to finish things off with another one uh so this is vera awesome. herself doing Ooh. a what you're watching she is a multi-talented individual and uh here we go i'm very excited Zombies, vampires, ghouls, and demons, the only genre that matters Nathan and Reed, two friends and fathers, once again here 
watching, reading, listening to here on the podcast, the fear of God. Nothing we'd rather do than watch you watching, reading, listening to watching, reading, listening to Nathan and Reed. Let's get to the point of what we're here to do. That's that Vera. Is, she is. That's stunning. She's a she's a a cook. Uh, this is amazing. She's. Uh, a professional sign language interpreter. Uh, she is. She has her own uh, business, doing in you know showing up at people's houses as dressed as characters and that whole shtick. She's Canadian. She, That's an yes, auto win. Always a plus. Um, a wife and yeah. mother. Yeah, and and well, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Of course. And, and clearly a consummate, talented singer as well. That yeah, that was we should, really amazing. I mean, between this one and the one coming, we should. We should do an album. 2021. Ooh. We're going to do an album. It's called Fog You. <laughs> <laughs> it is going to put all the all the watches and, you know, like she oh she she wrote a whole lyric sheet for that. That's that's pretty that, all right, that was Riri. that was lovely and wonderful and we love it. Oh, it's amazing. Yes. And and in fact, I did not intend this this way the partner one that's going to finish us out here in a minute between those two they've got kind of a gothic-y kind of energy to them which Ooh, is very yeah. in keeping with the movie yeah. that we're covering that today. is true oh very true. that yeah. is true yeah. we, we, who knows if we'll get to that movie but we'll try <laughs> um so what you watching now i know we have a mutual but i've got a little list i'm staring at too do you want oh to talk Lord. about them? do you want to lead on the mutual and i'm not going to Cover no, a ton. I just why don't we to throw a thing or two out? Why don't we each do a each do one solo and then end with okay. the mutual? Yeah. Okay. So, so you so like I'll that. I'll go first with my solo. Um, okay. So I I just recently saw a film um, that had been on my radar for a little while. I I liked it quite a bit. Um, it would be a soft recommendation. It's called The Rental. And stars are wonderful little Dan Stevens and Allison Brie, a couple of other very strong players. Um, but uh, I saw this because it had, you know, it had hit the waves of like in in this world that we're living in in global pandemic. Most of the major releases have come to streaming first, um, right. and I think this was one of them. Um, but it's interesting. It's just uh, this this pair of couples decide to rent a getaway by the the cliffside beach and when they arrive certain things begin to uh go afoot if you will um i don't want to say too much about it because as with most suspense thrillers it's best to know as little as possible before you go in what what i will say though that was interesting about it i enjoyed it quite a bit but it fit in a unique niche for me because there are a couple of reveals Throughout the course of the film, uh, one of the reveals is character-centric, and one of the reveals is plot-centric. My one major criticism of the film is that the plot-centric one, which I find a little less interesting, kind of makes the character-centric reveal null and void. 
like they're doing some really interesting things with characters and then the then then this plot reveal happens and it's like all that character stuff is kind of hmm. irrelevant because of this because of this plot reveal that suddenly happens that feels like a strong criticism Riri. but the plot reveal when it comes is alarmingly suspenseful and and quite hmm. even borderline like quite terrifying so so yes so would you say read that the rental is worth uh yes <laughs> i would say i would say it is it is worth a rental yes i but i would don't say purchase that, the rental no perhaps. no it's just it's because it's the rental okay just, right yes <laughs> you gotta believe some i don't know exec somewhere not knowing pandemics coming is like damn government why do we name this stupid movie the rental nobody's gonna buy it you know it's like we just inadvertently inceptioned our own audience yes. out of buying our movie you exactly know? no exactly <laughs> oh you watched the rental yeah did you buy it no no what? okay that's not a thing it's not available to purchase like, nope no it, it is no no it's a rental <laughs> but it is absolutely it is absolutely worth a rental so yeah that's mine so the rental's worth a rental good to hear um uh uh two uh, a one two here uh so one i because i don't even remember exactly how it came around but i had been prompting my elder two children the possibility of embarking on a stranger things journey and Ooh. the middle kid saw the trailer and said <laughs> <laughs> no thank you but my eldest uh we're about four episodes into season one very cool and enjoying it now i do skip all of the steve and nancy stuff okay and i don't i'm good. going to probably skip a good bit of season two's dalliances that arrive yeah. with jonathan and nancy yeah. uh we'll probably wait a little bit on that but it is fun revisiting what i do think is a strong first season it's fun watching it with my kid and i mean because in a real other than the core lines and monster houses of uh, they've seen a quiet place but like this is this is her real first foray into uh uh scary themed material and in fact sure. last night we were watching episode four which is the body and turning it on she was like it's kind of scary but it's kind of fun too and i was like oh right my gosh it's perfect right yeah, that yeah you just that great yes mm -hmm. why do you think i do what i do and she's like oh <laughs> right, right. um but on in in tandem with that um and also a slight allusion to a, a, a facet of the film we're talking about today is uh millie bobby brown who is a became a sensation star uh thanks to stranger things also recently had a hand in producing and starred in the netflix original film enola holmes which i still haven't uh, seen but i want to uh which also features helena bottom carter henry cavill uh a few other folks that might be recognizable but um it's excellent it awesome. is awesome that's good really you know it it is it's got a great energy to it. Um, it's competently made. Mm -hmm. uh, it does not feel like, uh, yeah, it's a fine popcorn movie. It felt like, I'm glad I watched that. Nice. That's the response I have to it. And Millie Bobby Brown, I mean, she's good. It's it's hard to deny she's got charisma. Um, Very and cool. she delivers in that. So that is my two Whatcha Watchins. And shall we, like a... Uh, child in a bassinet tuck ourselves in for a moment to discuss our mutual what you hear that Let's of that. i wish i had the tune at the ready 
Someone send a what you're watching to the tune of the Mandalorian <laughs> theme song. Uh, the Mandalorian season two has begun. And Reed, I want you to wax for a moment here because by your own admission, you do not. You'd be welcome to tell the story uh, of nope. why you might be a little. OK, you know, just, just know that yep. invitation is always there um, <laughs> to discuss uh, Star Wars. But you don't come loaded for bear uh, on fandom for star wars no um yeah yeah interesting interesting of you yeah Yeah. (laughs) but so so the mandalorian down the road let's let's move on (laughs) moving on past the this is the way go down the way yeah this go down the way this is the way this this is not the way the way you're going no this is not the way this is the way it's like to play with you a little bit. Um, so talk about your experience of the show, The Mandalorian, but specifically you've been particularly uh, vocal about season two thus far. Yeah. So I, uh, um, I've seen, you know, obviously all of the core material. I've seen the films. I've seen most of the cartoon series, Star Wars Rebels. I've seen, I think, a scatterling of episodes from the Lego Star Wars um you know, renditions, mm-hmm. which I actually find those very charming and very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and so just in general, I'm, you know, I'm not an, I'm not a, an, a rabid Star Wars fan where I just like have to consume all of the material, but, uh, I highly enjoyed season one of Mandalorian. I thought it was just really strong storytelling. I think it's the kind of thing that even if it was your, you know, perhaps first introduction to the Star Wars universe would be a really good sort of onboarding platform because it's just, such compelling storytelling. It's just really interesting. Anybody, uh, if you've been living under a rock and just don't know anything about Star Wars, I think you could, you would certainly not understand what a big deal the child was. Um, but I think you still would be along the ride for a really great, engaging story. Um, so then when Mandalorian season two was coming back, I was just kind of like, okay, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's nice. I really enjoyed season one and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to watching it. Well, we watched the first episode of it, and I don't know, I can't even point you to something specific in the plot or anything, but my wife and I were just immediately not only captivated by everything, but just excited to be watching this show again. Like, oh man, this is just really great storytelling. The production design, uh, the characters are strong. The scripting is strong. Just everything about it is really tight and well told. And, um, and so it, it's funny because if you asked me or pressed me to say like, well, what is it that you like about it? I would need to sort of take some minutes to try to formulate an answer. There's just something about the entire package that works really well. And so I don't know if it is particularly these now three episodes as of this recording that uh, really invigorate me uh, or something in their inherent narrative, uh, or if it is just I enjoy this this story and I enjoy these characters and I enjoy this world. Uh, but no, I am very, very excited to be watching Mandalorian Season 2 again. My wife as well. Like, we're really excited. Yeah, it is just competently delivered extremely well executed intriguing adventure storytelling yeah and what's kind of cool about it i actually you know i I had to acclimate to what it seems ultimately is the spine of the series which is you know will be i say i was going to use the word lucky but as viewers we'd be unlucky 
you know, the child is never going to part from Mando until the series finale. Like that's the thread, the the thread, the thrust, the thread of the series, which is don't plan on him getting to whatever he's supposed to, to part with the child. That's the show. Um, And so because of that, once you sort of unplug from the need for that to resolve itself, you're like, Oh, this is just fun adventure storytelling. And in fact, as of this recording, episode three has released, I think this season, each one has gotten better. I think the first one is good. Uh, mm-hmm. that has a great mm-hmm. finale to it. I think the second one is really, uh, creepy in a really cool production Ooh. style. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this third one, there were moments where we were slack jawed. Uh, oh, absolutely. I watch it with the two big kids. I mean, I'm thinking specifically spoiler alert for episode three of the memoir. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking specifically when they're on the boat and uh, the fish yeah. monster guy thwacks into the, into the water thing. I was like, I was, we, we all just jumped and jaw dropped. I was, stunned. that was such a yeah. great moment. Oh, it was um, fa- fantastic. And then he's like, we've got him. We've got the best scar. You know, like I was like, Oh my Lord. And then yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. you know, those three showing up, but then, right. And here's what was crazy. Like you, you love you some 20 minute Cobra Kai. And so do I, but this is the kind of show, and that's when I really realized how much time I enjoy spending in this world is when I pull up a Mandalorian episode and realize that it's only like 30-ish minutes long, and I get a little bummed that I've only got 30 new minutes yeah. of this storytelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. then that in those 30 minutes, they pack a, a cinema film's worth of, of thrills and story twists sure. and everything. It's, it's amazing. It's a real, that third episode is just outstanding. It's incredible. It's great. And, and to your point, now, I wouldn't say you, you said you are a, a, a fan, but not a slavish fan. Uh, I mean, I probably split the difference on those two. Uh, but what is cool about The Mandalorian, the show, is you can come at it with little to nothing. But if you mm-hmm. know the stuff, I mean, our mutual friend, Jeff Hansen, who is just an encyclopedia, I'm asking. Right. I ask him questions. Hey, remind mm-hmm. me what X meant. Um, you know, right. remind me what that meant or why mm-hmm. was that important? Um, but that most recent episode has deep tendrils into the lore of the sh- of the so universe awesome. of, of the show. And so, so that's really cool. Um, I will say you mentioned this and then we'll, then we can finish. You referenced the Lego stuff. I didn't know that would come up, but I did watch, um, the, new Lego holiday special Star Wars and I haven't made it to it yet. Is it, is it fun? You know, it's 45 <laughs> minutes. It could have been 15. <laughs> so here's the here. What? What? I was just going to say the progression is like, uh, it, it, we're, we're let's talk about Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you think of the Lego holiday special? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. You know yeah. why? Because I didn't realize how much I still nursed the pain of the rise of Skywalker. And when you show oh. me even jokey versions of Ray Finn Poe, I'm like, man, y'all don't even know what you're doing here. Who cares? Oh. Yeah. It's such a, it's it. Yeah. It, it, it was fine. It's, it's not sure. It's, it's a fun little, it's a fun little diversion that's yeah. holiday themed. Uh, but other than that, it's not totally worth your energy. Um, You good. That's you good. I'm good. All right. So this second tie off, what you're watching listener recording is from um, Asia Schwarzenegger. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I wasn't ready to say it. And so I wasn't looking at it. And I was like, oh, God, here we go. You're um, off the cliff. <laughs> 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 oh, sorry, guys. Uh, but she sent her own rendition uh, to pair with the one she and her husband sent that was quite fun and frivolous. This one 
Well, I'll just play it for you. We've got some freaking talented listeners, we do. man. We do. Oh my gosh! And I- uh, and those, but you can find both of those tracks off the forthcoming uh, Fear of God album, uh, just fogging around. Uh, <laughs> that'll be releasing uh, Halloween 2021. <laughs> it's closely we've followed got, by the we've sequel. We've got to do one of those old. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like um uh what's what are the it's like. It's like the Christian Now or whatever it was called. What was it? Wow. Oh, my God. Holy cow. Wow, wow Now Cow, wow. Brown Cow. Now. You know, that takes you back. Those hey, fog and Speaking foggers. of wow, there's a church around the corner from us who's plugging their Carmen uh, concert that's happening no. in like a week. Can you believe no. that? Yes. No. Yes. No. Banner out at the road. And this is not like. Lord of mercy. A bri- this is not like a brick and uh, stained glass old school crowd type of thing this is like a brand new build church oh my god these people intentionally sought out i'm sure he's great i'm sure he's still i'm sure he's still kicking it you know but yeah they went after and got (laughs) who's in the house oh man who's gonna do a concert that's not okay that's not okay (laughs) i know there's so much not okay about this i know just everything we do not have the bandwidth (laughs) to unpack all of the layers of a (laughs) modern church inviting Carmen to hold a during concert a during a global pandemic. There's so right, right. much going on in that. There's he's just... not going to be masked. No, he won't. He's not going to do it. He no. wouldn't do it. No, he, he's he too good for that. Wouldn't be. No, he definitely wouldn't be. He put God in America again. He did. I used to love that song. He did. Yeah. But all that to be said, uh, uh, we are plugging the album that's forthcoming, um, and we're going to do an infomercial about it where Reed is playing the piano and I'm draped across it plugging the songs that are going to be coming <laughs> get, across get away get away from my man get, get away. away go on now <laughs> get away and also back the fuck up my off man. my man <laughs> he did it he did it <laughs> Wow. You better mark that time. Gotta make a Gotta make mark that time. Riri dropped the F-bomb. <laughs> Woo-wee. So, um, I have to make this comment. I was terrible. I kept trying to Do say it. this in. I just love, and I know we will get to it in just a moment, but I just, I love Woo-wee. so much accidentally how, how those, you, you mentioned it in passing earlier, but just those, the, those particular what you watchings were just so, uh, rapturously gothic and haunting and and in their way lovely and creepy and eerie and it was just it's yes love it's, it it's it's really really wonderful Look for thank him, you man. yeah gonna... thank you thank you very very much to asia and vera that was that was really magnificent um, that just did my heart much more delight than i thought it would so that's great 
Awesome. So, Reed, mm. uh, we, you know, we featured Vera, we featured Asia. It is now time to feature Lackey the Listicle, my occasionally listless list making Lackey. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi. We'll just pretend that was Lackey the Listicle that dropped the F bomb a minute ago because <laughs> I know Riri. <laughs> looking out for the the censors <laughs> that would be a nice fat beep on the <laughs> yeah people driving fat suddenly. Beep. what'd you call me whoa um, whoa so we are today looking at the top 10 mm-hmm. of 2015 mm-hmm. 2015 listener voted mm-hmm. um why don't you these, go first yeah so these are the top 10 listener voted uh, horror films, favorite horror films of 2015. This is very exciting. Um, I should mention a couple of things because this is going to start to come up. I had mentioned in passing about 2019 and 2020 that um, going back to do these lists now, um, occasionally, depending on your source, because I mean, it's no secret, I'm just not, I'm not holding this encyclopedic information in my brain about when these films were released. Um, so when I go to my source for, okay, what was released in X year, some platforms go by wide release and some platforms go by premiere release. Most of them primarily IMDb and Letterboxd, go by premiere release. So if, you know, the year out beside it... Like is, festival release. Yes, like festival release. So um, I noticed that a couple of lists that I think in previous uh, years of The Fear of God might have wound up a year later because that was their wide release, and so we counted them in wide release because mm-hmm. we were just reviewing, but now they show up here. So a couple of the items that show up on this list... Um, would have previously been seen on like the 2016 list. But again, forgive us listeners, um, in doing the research this time around, I just had to rely on, okay, what was the year that this is largely considered to have been released? And that's what we based these on. That's what you voted on. So that having been said, um, I do want to mention before we dive into it, uh, just cause so many, it's, it's crazy. As these years go on, there's some good years in horror. Um, a few notable ones that didn't quite make the list include Oz Perkins's The Black Coat's Daughter. Uh, The Devil's Candy, which is a film I like. Uh, The Final Girls, which is a, a horror comedy that I highly recommend. And also the, uh, zombie, the zombie drama Maggie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> brains it didn't quite make the list and i'm mad about it but no um so but those are just a few that didn't quite make the top 10 and those are all great films uh you just wanted to do that to get your arnold in a a little bit but yeah um especially you know the final girls i would highly recommend but um that having been said do you want to do evens or odds on this this list around well if you were listening to me two minutes ago i said why don't you start Oh, so. uh, no, I wasn't. I, I try to listen uh, to you yeah, as little I, as possible. I've gotten so, um, used to that yeah, by now. No, I, I can tell so. when I listen back to an episode. Like, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> so much for that. Yeah, Reed just didn't hear that. Um, okay, so uh, I will start with number 10 is We Are Still Here, directed by Ted, uh, I believe it's Jogagin. Maybe that's no. maybe that's right. Jogagin? Uh, probably not. Go but, again. It's probably not right. But We Are Still Here is a really effective little uh, ghost thriller. Um, it's brief, and it's pretty uh, alarming and, and quite frightening, I've never, particularly I don't in its climax. I've heard of that one. It's really, really good. Uh, nine and ten I'm not familiar with, but I've seen one through eight, so I am okay. happy about that. I just wanted to toot my horn. Around. No, sure, of course. Um, but We Are Still Here is a, is a very nice, effective little ghost story, um, and I believe as of this recording it might be – available on 
Netflix, but I but I haven't looked it up, so I'm not quite sure. But if you can find it, we are still here. Uh, came in at number ten, and uh, it is it is quite good. It's a it's a direct ghost story, and it is particularly in its last twenty minutes remarkably frightening. So yes, uh, by all means, I would recommend it. Uh, number nine on the list is um, the Nightmare. Directed by Rodney Asher, which is remarkably, these don't show up much on here, a documentary feature about the late or the early 80s, well, late 70s, early 80s band, the Riverbottom Nightmare Band. <laughs> Riverbottom Nightmare Band. <laughs> Why don't you go jump in a lake? <laughs> jump off you know what? Lake. That quote doesn't mean anything anymore because those idiots excised it from the cut. That's true. Riri, what is wrong? Come on, man. I don't know. I want everybody wants the Snyder cut. I want the Emmett cut. (laughs) I want the original. Release the Emmett cut. (laughs) Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas that includes the joke when Ma Otter says to Hattie Fox as she's walking away, and why don't you go jump off the dock? That's gone now. It's gone. It's gone. As is Kermit the Frog. Yep, it's true. So yeah, Yeah, they and and number nine's the nightmare directed by Rodney Asher. They discuss. They why don't. This, why no, this, that's, but that's this. not the, the. But that's not the. That's not the premise it's of. It's about the Asher. rise and fall of the river bottom nightmare. No, it's, it's not. So Rodney Asher is an interesting I love guy. This moment. Yes, it's okay. fantastic. So this is a documentary, as as you mentioned, but not it about. It is a documentary. The, that's amazing. That you I didn't did know that. that. Oh, that's so no. Funny. I had no idea. I, so nope. what I thought was funny is I thought you I'm were playing on the fact nope. that it was a documentary. It's a, no. So no, the nightmare is a documentary about sleep paralysis. That was. Yeah, improv in in the real right there. Look at that! You just you're tapped in and don't I even no, don't even know. It's it. like Asia, um, Vera, and me. Talent, uh, right there. <laughs> talent, talent. Asia, talent. Vera, me. You know, Boom. between me and Tom Hanks, between the three of us, we've won two Oscars. Okay, so do something about that. You know, yeah, um, so, yeah. so um, honestly, uh, th- so the nightmare is a very frightening film. It's a documentary again about sleep paralysis. Um, very effectively made. Rodney Asher has directed two other documentaries that I've seen. One is called Room 237, which explores the myriad of conspiracy theories surrounding Stanley oh, Kubrick's boy. film The Shining. Right. Um, and then he directed a very short documentary film called Primal Screen that is featured. It's an exclusive to Shudder um, that unpacks the the terrors experienced uh, related to like ventriloquist dummies. Um, Whoa. Yeah. That's not okay. So, but the nightmare, which featured as number nine, um, is a really, it's, it's a very effective horror film and is a, a true story. Um, again, sleep paralysis is a real psychological condition that is, uh, that, that, that has a lot of mystery baked into it. It's a very unsettling film that I, that I liked a lot. Um, you know what's interesting? Hmm. Four, four years in, we've never covered a documentary. That might be an interesting little, you know, hmm. we'll put a note in there for maybe like a 2021 because there's some really effective little horror documentaries that are not just, hey, here's behind the scenes of this, uh, you know, this film or that film. Uh, so right. maybe we should give that some consideration. So so horror documentaries might be a uh, uh, might be a series worth considering. But yes, number nine, the the nightmare directed by uh, Rodney Asher, not though we, uh, you know, release the Emmett. Otter cut, not uh, the bottom. <laughs> um, okay, so number eight. I prepped you for oh. this last week. Um, I said that our featured coverage would be uh, rather low on the list, just because of how much of the list we have covered. Number eight. It is today's featured coverage, directed by Guillermo del Toro, Crimson Peak. Now we've covered 
Del Toro's work a ton. Uh, episodes 78 through 82, we discussed his films Devil's Backbone, Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, The Shape of Water, and also uh, J.A. Bayona's film The Orphanage, which uh, Del Toro produced. Um, so Del Toro's received a lot did of- we, What? Did we cover The Shape of Water? We did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, have you been here for these four years? Are you right? <laughs> I don't, don't know. <laughs> It's all a blur. It's all a blur. But no, we had a very long conversation about the shape of water. Um, oh yeah, and uh, yeah. and so I think I remember that. so. But no, my favorite. I mean, if listeners have not checked out that series, my favorite of our conversations there was our Pan's Labyrinth conversation, which yes. in which I got uh, uh, extremely passionate about some very important things to me, and I think it's a uh, it's a it's an episode I'm very very proud of. But yes, uh, Crimson Peak, we will be getting to in just a few moments. It's your number eight on the list. What's uh what's their number seven? Uh, number seven, Reed, is um, the all punk, all the time, FU Nazis, directed by Jeremy <laughs> Saunier, Green Room, featured on Fear of God, episode 49. We had no idea quite how prescient Mr. Saunier's film was. Uh, great flick. Yeah. Great flick. Yeah. Really fun. Really, uh, really enjoyed. Listen to uh, episode 49 to hear all of our thoughts on that. Uh, number six is a film that I still have such fond affection for occasionally find myself wanting to to return to it i loved it quite a bit um directed by joel edgerton his directorial debut and featured a fear of god episode 17 it is the gift yeah that is your number six uh that was part of our first little christmas run we gave our our Mm. listeners a little gift of a conversation about the gift but uh but no yeah it's like i don't know you want that gift i mean the conversation (laughs) yes but what happens in that movie uh number five on the list listener voted 2015 is directed by karen kusama the invitation featured on fear of god episode 20 i love this movie this is a film that still ranks as not only does the film remain an important film to me that i really enjoy and think about often that conversation in the fear of God is still one that I think back on many, many times. Uh, it, it's in our early days. Um, it, it, it was rare. It, it's somewhat rare for, for us to intentionally sort of toot our horn this way, but that's one of the few episodes where one of the creators, uh, one of the screenwriters tweeted out our episode, uh, yes. with some really kind words about the thoughts that we had to share. So that was, um, that's, that's somewhat unique in our, uh, and that's Karen's husband. Phil Hay, it, oh, is it? Oh, see, I didn't yep. remember that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but, uh, but no, it's, it's a conversation that I am very, very proud of. If you've seen the invitation and have not listened to our episode, please go check it out. Um, we're, we're very, very pleased with the conversation that took place there. If you have not seen it, uh, we both highly recommend it. It's a really interesting film, a bit of a slow burn. So you have to have some patience for it, but it is worth it. And it is, it is an excellent, excellent film that we think very highly of. And it was number five on the list, which made me very mm-hmm. happy to see. Well, what's number four? Number four is a film that I also... Gosh, this, this is a good this is list. A good list. <laughs> this is a good list, man. Number four is a film... It, it has quickly risen as one of my favorite return tos for the holiday season. I guarantee you I'm going to be watching it uh, this holiday season. Directed by Michael Doherty, Fog, episode 117. It is Krampus. A good flick. I like that flick. Great, a lot. great conversation. Good flick. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, number three. Number three. <laughs> mm. <laughs> great movie. I just have such fondness for this conversation. Oh, uh, so is uh, featured on Fear of God episode thirty-three, part of our springtime for Shyamalan series. Uh, it is uh, directed by uh, you know Shyamalan. Uh, the visit. <laughs> 
the visit is a very fun great little flick that we had a raucous old time discussing and i remember we gave it like that was back in our days of david s pumpkins measurement we gave it like a freaking nine (laughs) it was was, hey it's good any questions no it is a good 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 film i i love it quite a bit um okay uh number two oh my gosh it just keeps getting better this list just keeps getting i wrote this list down and i had forgotten i was not prepared for how <laughs> excited i was gonna get rising up to this number two is a film that i i cannot uh praise more highly uh it is fog episode 24 which i might note was the first instance just fyi of what I consider the lovely little uh, tag on the end of every episode of my son coming in and saying, hi, everybody. That was the first time it happened. Um, You're welcome. Yes, thank you for that. Um, You didn't tell him to, but you were the one who prompted me to put it on the end of every episode, and I appreciate it. Um, Directed by S. Craig Zoller. It's Bone Tomahawk, everybody. It's one of the the best films of the last decade. Yeah, Great flick. Great conversation. Wonderful film. Great just human rent into scene. I'm kidding. It's not great at all. It's terrible. Um, no, but it's a wonderful uh, movie. Speaking of the great and the terrible, uh, at number one, um, directed by Robert Eggers, who, I mean, has he only done this in The Lighthouse? Yes. Yeah. That's to my insane. knowledge. I mean, it, aside from maybe like um, some short films in, as he was coming out. Yeah. But. Fear of God, episode 23, Starring who has started to make quite a name for herself elsewhere, Anya Taylor Joy, amongst mm-hmm. uh, an excellent cast beyond. It is The Witch. The it's Witch. Such a great flick. I have a photo. So after we had watched it for the show, I don't know if it was that same season of time or just later on. I don't remember. But I asked my sister and her husband over one night to watch, and we watched The Witch. And I have this photo of them sitting on my couch next to me so that's an angle profile view <laughs> and his eyes are really wide and she's holding a blanket to her face <laughs> it's it's so so perfect. that's perfect uh, yeah yes. uh, no that was uh oh one little technical note on that for the show when we did it i remember we we recorded the episode and we were a little crunched for time so then we later went back and recorded a bonus episode just discussing the ending i've since mm. integrated that into the main file so if you hear it it's the complete oh. conversation of the witch but um but yeah that's a that was a, a really strong film something that i um yeah that i still keep returning to so um while you're pulling up the box office numbers mm-hmm. i gotta i gotta say few lists have made such a direct like lots of similarities but i'm seeing a lot of films on this list which feature characters a group of characters in isolation against an oppressive force of some type. The Witch, definitely. Bone Tomahawk, I would classify. The Visit, with the kids in, in their situation. Krampus is the same way. The Invitation is the same way. Green Room is the same way. I would make a case that Crimson Peak is. And if memory serves me, though it's been a while since I've seen it, I think We Are Still Here is of the same ilk. And it's really interesting to me that in this year... That's a lot of the stories of just uh, characters, a group of characters in an isolated condition uh, having to to do battle, some of them successful, some of them not, against a, a, a version of some sort of oppressive force. And I find it very interesting, perhaps the first time in these sequence of lists, that so many of the top ten have been of that general variety. 
um, really only accept the nightmare. Well, and the nightmare, because it's about sleep paralysis, you could kind of, um, you know, make a case that it's you're confined inside your dreams with that, you know, horrendous sort of feeling. Uh, so, yeah, that's hmm. yeah, it's just interesting. That was a very interesting through line that I saw throughout the course of it. But anyway, to the box office, to the box office. So, yes, uh, thank you for that assessment, Riri. Uh, we do, as we are on each 2020-2020, uh, examining after our listener-voted top 10 horror list, uh, looking at um, sp- isolating the top five, but skimming these last few episodes, the top 10 worldwide box office films for 2015. Um in quick succession, disregarding actual numbers, box office number ten was The Martian, the Matt Damon film. Oh, good okay. flick. Um, number nine was a film I never did see. It is The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part Two. Part 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 Me. Number seven. My uh, wife had uh, to console uh, me during this film. Oh, is wow. Pixar's Inside Out? I wept. Oh, like that's number seven. First, yes. Yes. Oh, I wish that was higher. I love that film. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> Especially when the next one up on the list is, well, no, that's not fair. I saw one above it. So number six on the list is Spectre, which is the James Bond film, I think. Okay. Um, which I don't have much of a memory for. Uh, number five. So getting into actual top five here. Number five was Minions. Is that the Sandra Bullock one? That's not a good movie. Sandra Bullock one. No, this is. I mean, I don't know if she was. Oh yeah, the voice. I think yeah. that is one. Yeah, um, Scarlet you know Overkill. You know what's really funny is when I saw it, I actually rem- I saw it like in my pajamas one Saturday when my son and I were watching okay. it, and I, I was and, okay. And I, so the mental image that came to me immediately was you in the movie theater in your pajamas, like no, Dang, Reed, you that doesn't happen. Are relaxed, so, <laughs> but um, and I remember being like, ah, okay, yeah, Minions, fine, whatever. But then like it has gotten trounced by so many people. I'm like. I don't know that I want to revisit it. There's a part of me that wants to revisit it to see if I actually laughed as much as I thought I did. But then I'm like, well, no, because I-, I have a rather fond memory of just me and my son sitting there <laughs> and giggling through Minions, and I don't want to ruin that. So, Well, anyway. that's a lovely memory, and I'm glad you have it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things I'm glad we have, number four on the list at $1.4 billion is Avengers Age of Ultron. Of course. Wow. Number four. Um, it is fascinating. Like... Maybe in 16, we'll start to see this. For that to be number four says a lot for the trajectory of the MCU. Yeah. Um, number three on the list, uh, a future B-side with, if you'd like to join me, you and uh, the uh, person who already submitted a request to do this, Blake Collier, uh, is Furious 7. Oh, okay. Furious 7. They really mad at now. One, at one... <laughs> It's like 12 angry men. <laughs> nah, man, no. Who needs 12 angry when you can have Furious 7? Furious. Um, uh, and that came in at $1.5 billion. Wow. Coming in at number two is an okay flick. Uh, a juggernaut at the box office is Jurassic World at okay. yeah. 1.6, almost $1.7 And you know... I did enjoy 30 it. minutes ago when I asked you about journaling and remembering where we were in 2015. Does anything, mm-hmm. does anything just embody and encapsulate and just illustrate the rocky experience of the last five years than the fact that in 2015, giving us, you might call a new hope of 
Number one on the global box office in 2015 is Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens at 2.07 billion dollars. And yet, Dang. here we are, five years later, in the wow. rubble of what <laughs> could have been. I mean, oh my God. I don't jokingly, I don't just coyly say the new hope because you know they basically copied and pasted it and jj didn't know what he was doing the whole time um well long live ryan johnson but enough of that (laughs) reread that is the global box office for 2015 any thoughts other than minions in your pajamas no no i mean that's yeah it's we're starting to see the big blockbuster franchise behemoths like climb up to the top and that's you know that's to be expected um but uh but yeah no that was that was very fun so uh bye everybody um, so so you ready to go into the gothic recesses of uh, i am before we but before we do that i mm-hmm. just you love to toot that little lackey horn uh whence ever possible and i just want to point out so i had forgotten this about this film that the i mentioned last week with nightcrawler jake gyllenhaal's on my boyfriend list well right friend so is the one and only King of uh, uh, God of Mischief himself, um, <laughs> Lord of Asgard, that of Tom Hiddleston, who I'm holding up to the screen here. I ah, got to you see that? Do you see I that? Do. Reed? I do. Right yeah, there. That's a picture of you that, with Tom Hiddleston. Right there. Yes. Me yes. with Tom Hiddleston. I got I, to meet I him. I know. And we chatted and we <laughs> had a brew. Exciting. I'm just kidding. We didn't do that. Um, but yeah, I got this to meet Tom Hiddleston. Pre- pre-pandemic when we it could was. actually you know just go and enjoy like just looking at that picture gives me you know paroxysms um <laughs> like wow. oh my god don't stand so close to those people <laughs> Back away, uh, so yeah i did get to meet tom hiddleston but we are he is one of the stars of this film that we're discussing today that of indeed. guillermo del toro toro toro's crimson peak yes this is a soft return to that little series, the hashtag del toro 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 um so you had never seen it before I haven't. Um, and so, we, we, you know, we, we can get into a little bit of that in, in a little bit. I was excited to revisit it because... Did you see it in the theater? Not in the theater, no, but I had seen okay. it shortly after it was released to home video release. And um, I remember when I watched it, I was like, well, that was, that was a movie. And I, <laughs> and, I was, and I was like, you know, I was like, I, I really like Del Toro. Um, and it, the man's visual style is just impeccable and i was like yeah i mean but but i wanted to like it more than i did and so i was extremely excited to revisit it for this conversation because i was like "Ooh, this is a good i've been looking for an excuse to revisit it and see how i felt and uh, and i think i've refined for myself what i enjoy and what i don't enjoy about it but i will admit that in the pantheon of del toro's catalog this would rank in in probably the lower tier for me um just in terms that that's not to say that i dislike the film but um but when you pair it next to the devil's backbone and pan's labyrinth um I, it's just something that i'm just like uh, yeah I, I don't know i don't know and again i've i've identified a couple of things for myself that i can kind of figure out why but um but, mean, do you, yeah i feel like I feel like you're going places here. Do you want to do bits? Do you want to talk about any bits? Well, I was going to segue that into an ask of what your experience well, right, was. I know. And then, but um, it feels like the meat of what's happening right now feels like it just sort of leapfrogs over 
overall the trivial superficial bits yeah Yeah. which i I don't care ultimately uh i do love of the bits that um it was benedict cumberbatch who uh had to back out for un at least what i saw unspecified reasons that he and hiddleston are buds hiddleston asked permission to take the role when he was offered it and about nine hours later i think it was or at least like a day later he Mm -hmm. took the role um i love that it was a fully realized set the castle yeah absolutely uh, very cool those are two bits i've got any bits so one of the bits that i would mention is uh that of course our uh you know we're very big fans of jessica chastain um in this she learned how to play the piano for this role she that had previously cool. learned how to play the bass guitar for her role in mama and her work on mama <laughs> is actually what <laughs> oh mama um <laughs> She's um, and her work on Mama is actually what made Guillermo del Toro want to give her the script. But he gave her the script. Well, he produced Mama because <laughs> he produced Mama. Yeah. Um, right. But he gave her the script thinking she would play Edith's character. And then she came right. back to him considering that Lucille was the more interesting and challenging one. And so she wanted to play that. But I do find it interesting that she learned. Not only did she learn how to play the piano, that's her playing. So when you hear right. Lucille's character playing the piano, she that also, is I think, her I think playing. I read, too, that she and for this one, she learned how to play the sibling. <laughs> y'all, y'all, y'all buckle up, everybody. Be, beware of Crimson Peak. Beware. <laughs> Lord of mercy. <laughs> Woo-wee. Woo-wee. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, so, yeah, you know. Other thing, um, <laughs> all right. So, any other real specific bits? Uh, no, 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 you... uh, no, because okay. I'm, I'm much, I'm, I'm exponentially more interested in your uh, thoughts on the film. So, I remember seeing the trailer for this movie and thinking, oh, Del Toro, Gothic mm-hmm. horror, mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, for whatever reason, it passed me by at the time. Uh, you can hear in real time at the end of last week's episode, read, remind me that that's what, or inform me for the first time. That that's what we're covering. Right. And the right. excitement that I expressed over that because it had been on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what, Reed, you know what I want? Like, what do, you, what do you want? This is what I want. Okay. What I really, really want. <sighs> tell me. I'll tell you what I want. <laughs> what I really, really want. Um, so kind of like, man, you know what? See, this is the, my wife gets on to me sometimes because I'm like, I waffle. I like waffles and I waffle. Oh, okay. Um, I've mm-hmm. liked too many waffles this year. Uh, <laughs> it's been a stressful year. Um, and I'm not happy about that, that, that confession. But um, she gets on to me because I waffle. I'm like, well, you know, maybe this, maybe that. She's Wait like, you just yeah. say the thing. So <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. Like, Speak a thing. Um, like, I think I haven't even started uh, Bly Manor. But you know what? Okay. I'm not going to waffle. I'm not going to waffle with you. I'm going to tell you that, you know what I don't want right now is Mike Flanagan characters just waxing philosophical for nine hours. I just don't care. Sure. I, don't want I it. understand. You no, know, no. and that sounds terrible. I love Mike Flanagan. I just don't want it. You know what I don't want is Guillermo del Toro, King of the Monsters, to give me one more sympathetic monster movie. I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want it. I mean, damn, man, he's he's so good at the realized horror Mm -hmm. that that halfway through this movie, I was like, oh, let me guess. The ghosts are not bad. Okay. Oh, right. right, I don't care. You know, like I was so I just want, you know, I want a a Hellboy esque del Toro again. I want monsters Mm. that look 
friggin awesome and mm-hmm. are wicked and evil like that's sure. what i want yeah. i want okay. okay some real monstrous monsters i get it del toro mike flangan i get it we're you know right right, the right world right. is out to eat me mm-hmm. and i need and my kids and i need to figure that out i get <laughs> it del toro empathize with the freak i get it i'm, I'm right, good right. now yes <laughs> i need I understand. something else sure. it's like I don't need to see Batman's parents get killed anymore, Zack Snyder. I don't need to see it. Just back on up. Give me something fresh. Oh. And that's where I'm at with Crimson Peak right now, amongst other amongst other things. <laughs> um, I, I am like, I want something different than what this delivered. And that okay. was a little that was a little disheartening, which is unfair to the movie. I'm owning that. I'm just responding to what sure. it gave me, which is out. This who knows? This may be a really short conversation. Ah. I watched this and I was like, the parts don't congeal for me. They don't cohere. Interesting. I yeah. love Tom Hiddleston. Mm-hmm. I love Jessica Chastain, but I don't want dour Jessica Chastain. Like and murderous Jessica Chastain. Well, at least that was like something. Like <laughs> I was like, ah, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. you got caught with your bro, and now you're going nuts. You know. <laughs> You you went nuts. Now you're going nuts. Um, like no. I, I, you know, I don't want dour Chastain. She's too good. Don't just have her mope for two hours and for then sure. yeah. just go nuts. And right. Right, right, right. I love Hiddleston. I love Chastain. I've never. I don't. I honestly don't know if I've ever seen Wasikowska in something. Uh, so I, had- I don't have much of an opinion there. Yeah, I had seen her before in... So, it's interesting. This was one of my notes. I had seen her in a TV show for HBO called In Treatment, starring Gabriel Byrne. And uh, she's she's quite good in that. She's really strong in that. I also liked her as Alice in the two Alice in Wonderland films, though I did not Mm, care very broadly... For the films at large, I liked her as Alice in it. I thought she she was a perfect Alice. And the reason that I say both of those things is that, you know, she was very strong and in treatment. I really liked her as Alice. I don't like her in this film. I think her performance. There's nothing there. Like, yeah. I read the note about Chastain being handed Edith and then wanting Lucille instead. I'm like, Dang, you that's some low-key shade, inadvertently, to, oh, sure. to her. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's, there's nothing there. It's just a. Yeah. It's. I. There's so much, um, the things that are good about this movie to me are great. The, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the creature design is fantastic. The set design is fantastic. The jump scares are great, but you know, I, I love Hiddleston in just about literally anything he does. He is magnetic. He is charismatic. He is charming. He is a hell of an actor. Uh, I, I think he's great in this. He delivers. I didn't like the. I, I don't care for Charlie Hunnam. I admittedly oh, have not seen okay, him in sure. enough yeah. to, right. to really sure. have that strong of an opinion. <laughs> Reed's like, damn, I shouldn't have asked Nathan. What no, this no, this is, um, no, this is no, I'm fine. not waffling. I am trying to not waffle. Speak a thing. Giving you speak yes. a thing. This yeah. is the Nathan cut. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I didn't enjoy the frame. I, I, there was just something weird about it. I, I love the Victorian aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not, yeah, I'm sorry. So okay, so I'll, I'll, so, I'll throttle back a little bit. <laughs> no, 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 no. So 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 a couple of just impeccable, praiseworthy things. Um, because I'm with you. Um, this this set is it's fantastic, wonderful. This set is this set is a work of art. If ever 
there was one in terms of production design and set crafting. It is a magnificent set. Um, and is an actual set. Like they yes, built they the built house. It. Yes, right. absolutely. Um, so the general aesthetic is wonderful. I love the visualization of the foggy, snowy sort of um, in the climax with, you know, the red yep. clay bleeding through so much. of the Wonderful, wonderful visualizations. The ghosts, when they show up, are magnificent representations of ghosts yeah. they are frightening Highly effective they're yeah it's a uh, um you know doug jones is playing you know most of the times when we see a ghost presence on screen it's right. it's doug jones doing what he does so brilliantly um and uh and so so they are wonderful um i i just i really love the gothic aesthetic like it's it's part of why I was excited to rewatch the movie because there's a big part of me that's like, man, I feel like I should love this movie because it's very aesthetically rich, um, and uh, and I feel like there's some frames, there's some individual shots in this that you could just you know uh, take and hang on a wall. They're just they're just absolutely gorgeously structured. I think the problems with it lie in a couple of key performance choices, and overall, the script is just not that strong. Just the the first act is too brisk and tries to give us too much information too quickly. Uh, we don't get really a lot of opportunity to buy in on the relationship. Um, I don't think Hiddleston and Wasikowska has have any, any chemistry. chemistry. No, yep. almost at almost at all. Um, and and I do feel like I was about to and and probably still will kind of point some fingers at her performance in it, but you pointed out something to me and 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 for a character who is a jane austen-esque budding author she's very uninteresting in the film she's very passive in the film the only thing that she does of major consequence in terms of choices is to steal the key and investigate the enola sort of thing um but the rest of it she's just kind of along for the ride um, and that is, uh, that is disheartening because it's a, it's a, a fascinating sort of potential for a character that's not quite fully realized. This is one for me where I point some fingers at the script as a large part of the problem. Um, because I just, I just feel like, well, I listen, I think too, I'm sorry, I, that was rude. I, I didn't no, mean to... no, 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 you're, no, you're fine. I'm just, uh, uh okay, yeah, okay. I'm just wrap a bow on that. Well, because, because my thought, the, the response there, the strength of the response was like, you know, well, what about the story? Because there's script and there's story. Like, when you learn that we got a Lannister thing going on, I was like, sure, yeah, what? Mm-hmm. What is the point of this? Like, is it taboo? Is it risque? Is it under the surface of the film the whole time? Sure. Are you still kind of like, but y'all sure about this? You know, like it feels less like a well-earned story choice and more like a let's show you what you were worried might be the case the whole time anyway. Kind of. Okay. All right. Sure. Delivery. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I was just like, you know, uh, uh, because, you know, nobody says no to Guillermo del Toro. Right. No. But if you're, you know. If you're Jessica Chastain, if you're Tom Hiddleston and is like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to try to do a Del Toro impression, but like, <laughs> oh, Tom, I've got a script for you. And of course, it's going to be like, oh, oh, wait, did, you know, Benedict, I can't take this because of him. That's my, <laughs> that's my New Zealand by way of Tom Hiddleston. Um, okay. 
heard and he's like no benedict's out <laughs> it's you he calls up benedict gets approval and to take the role he's like all right Guillermo, i'm gonna take the role and he's reading the script and he's like wait 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 what um with his sister <laughs> and Guillermo just being like oh, yes <laughs> it? yes yes glorious never never saw that coming you know and you're like what do you do you're like huh hmm Maybe I should have waited for the next offer. You know, <laughs> it's like maybe maybe this is why Doctor Strange backed out. <laughs> well, what's funny is that when he was asked, when Benedict Cumberbatch was asked in interviews, he defers. Um, yeah, he defers, and he was like asking Guillermo del Toro. He, right, he knows. Right, right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it is. And it listen, is kind of. I am not even saying you can never do something taboo. It's just, it's so, you know that they they. they the subtext of the entire film is Chastain displeased with something right, about right. their relationship, but you're like, surely not that. Oh, oh, oh yep. It's that. Yep. She, she found Loki's scepter. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's like, okay, found that's Loki's. that is not right i know it isn't (laughs) it's not it's not okay guillermo oh lord have mercy what was so beautiful about that moment that just happened is i said it and i was like oh he's just gonna he's not responding he's gonna let it pass and then you did and i was like that's that's amazing it's great great." so yeah and you know we get to see asgard we do we do. That was yeah. actually something that was kind of interesting because um, mm-hmm. there was, I guess, a little bit of deliberate intention on the part where Hiddleston and Del Toro had talked about that scene and how more often than not in romance scenes in films, the female is, um, you know, scantily clad or at least partially nude, and they deliberately wanted to invert that. That's why uh, Mia Wasikowska is not. Uh, it is, she's fully clothed in the, you know, through what we see. Um, and then we just see, uh, you know, a little bit of what you said there. Yeah. <laughs> but the spark, what's so funny is just fingers. how like, this, huh? Spark, sparkle fingers. No, go sparkle ahead. Oh Lord, sparkle <laughs> fingers. <laughs> sparkles, Captain Sparkles. Um, you know, what's so funny about that though is like, it just, it stands out. It's like. Oh, that's mm-hmm. a butt. That's a man butt. That's Loki's yeah, butt. Right, right. And it's just right there, full frame. Yeah. Uh, which, whatever, you know, we can. But I just don't. But, I mean, I, if you want. I come back for. I come back to the fact that there is just such stodgy chemistry between the pair of them. That's what makes it really difficult to buy in on the central conceit of the film. And the central conceit of the film, for anybody who's who's, who's never seen this film, and uh, surely we're not, uh, you know, asking you to rush out, you know, knock on the doors of Crimson Peak. But... Um, but the but but the premise of the film is uh, uh, Mia's character Edith is um, an aspiring author. Uh, she's a woman of some degree of class and privilege and wealth. Uh, carries with her a, a pretty profound dowry, um, and then she runs aground of Tom Hiddleston. Uh, his character uh, named is it Thomas Tom. Sharp? 
yeah, Tom is yeah. Tom Sharp. Yeah. Uh, so Tom Sharp, and um, he is trying to find investors for a a clay mining contraption that he has designed, and that's at least the the initial part of what we see. And then I'm already um, bored. <laughs> right. And then her her father, uh, who is someone that is approached by him to, you know, sure. invest in this. A man of means. A man father. of yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um he categorically turns him down. And then you also get some some uh rumblings that there are some nefarious bits to his past and and um and, and so anyway, what then progresses is her father is murdered by someone and then he, Tom Sharp, swoops in and, ro- you know, continues to romance her, wherein they get married. He takes her to his home in Crimson Peak. And then what progresses is over time, and you can tell that Tom has this weird relationship with Lucille, played by Jessica Chastain. Um, but then what, the what is the sister, which what is revealed over time is that in point of fact, um, Lucille and Tom have an incestuous relationship and they have been sort of in this pattern of wooing well-to-do women and uh you know tom would uh you know court them marry them and then take their money and then lucille would murder them and poison by poisoning by poisoning them um and and that is what has been progressing and that is what is partially happening well i say partially that's what she's trying to do to edith um ultimately she's not successful in killing edith through the course of the film spoiler alert i guess but um but that is what uh but but that's what their efforts are about and that's the whole premise of this and then it gets super weird and dark later because not only are tom and lucille in an incestuous relationship but they also had progeny from it they they had an offspring a baby that was um uh sickly and was um did you know was struggling to survive and ultimately did not survive um and so it's it, it gets wrapped up into some very complex things that i do have some possibly interesting things to unpack for theme when we get there possibly um but but it all makes for some very big buy-ins that it asks of you that i don't think the film fully earns because again tom hiddleston and, and mia do not have in their interactions with one another, this burgeoning, crackling chemistry that makes you go, oh, I understand why he's fallen in love with her and now has completely abandoned this plan that he did for four other women uh, previously. But so even it's just things a little like, difficult. help me recall if this is, if this is uh, explicitly stated or even implicitly in the film, like, what is the motive behind collecting the money of these dead women? Well, just to co- further their machinery needs to mine the thing to make yeah. more money to, this to is a preserve. Problematic- well, yeah, but it's to preserve Crimson Peak. They've got to, they've got to try to save the house. They're trying to hold the house together by trying to mine the clay so that they right. can restore the house and they can fulfill the legacy. This seems this is like a Lou Bloom level of like <laughs> there's just they need a better business plan. You can't just keep doing this to poor Tom Hiddleston. He right right he's just. And admittedly, he's run aground of things. What? Well, and admittedly, when we get to it, and maybe we can even get into it shortly. But when we get into it, um, I do think there's a couple of interesting seeds of theme there that are worth discussing. I don't think that's necessarily to the film's credit. I think it's potentially to the idea's credit. But, um, but, but 
I, I do think there's some interesting things to discuss about their ultimate scheme of trying to preserve this house and restore this house by trying to continue to receive money to invest in this um, this mining device um, so that they can. Well, you you, you put know. a good um, a good bow on it there, which doesn't mean immediately jump to theme because I, I sure you know. sure maybe we discuss some of these scares because there are some there, but in the new world we live in new media world, um, more than ever, there can be legitimate questions watching a thing of, would this have been better as a TV show miniseries? Mm. Would this mm. miniseries Mike Flanagan been better as a film? You know, like those are legitimate questions now. Sure. Understood. And watching this, I was like, this is, there is too much happening oh it's a lot yes i don't care at all about the dad story element it's stupid and which takes up the first third of the film right yeah and and because by the time you really understand what is this movie about oh that didn't matter you know Mm -hmm. it's it's really just about she's a she's a woman of means and trying to get her so you could have just sliced all that out on a certain level or pared it down, pared it back pretty substantially. But you made a funny uh, or a comment that I'm going to try to make a funny about here with the script. This happened in the movie, in the moment. I noticed this. And what we didn't identify as Charlie Hunnam is a family friend of the dad oh, yeah. and, and Edith's character, uh, their family physician or a physician in the town who, right, who right. has who clearly has eyes for Edith um, and ultimately becomes kind of the, a, a form of the hero by the end. But he is so, so when dad gets murdered, yeah, it's almost humorous by the time he's so, you know, like a, like a pumpkin after <laughs> Halloween, that's just tossed to wow. the ground. Like, Oh, that's just a shattered skull. Read. I don't know if Pretty you caught this. But in the, it's not the autopsy, but when they're IDing the body. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the scripting. Hunnam says, okay, so to set the stage here, <laughs> there's a man on a slab <laughs> who has no face. Yes. It's and, been caved and in. Let's, wait, 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 wait. Let's restate that. The woman in Halloween 3 has no face. <laughs> this man has no skull left. It is a right, an open right. cavern of a head. Mm-hmm. Hunnam says, how did it happen? The <laughs> coroner's response is, he was alone. The floor was wet. No one knows. <laughs> and that is the response. That is the laziest. But yes, when it right, happened, yes. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Sure. What? Sure. Yeah. His yeah, yeah, face yeah. is crushed. He slipped and yes. fell, and that happened. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Why? You you served. He's got to be doing a, some major <laughs> slipping. Like he's a bird. He's a giant bird with soft bones, <laughs> and his skull just folded like a pillow pillowcase. Lord of mercy! Like never has there ever been a better opportunity for a noir use of scripting than. The coroner saying, well, I don't know. We suspect foul play. Like, come on. Yeah. What right, are you sure. people yeah, yeah. talking about? I don't mm-hmm. <laughs> Floor was wet. <laughs> like, uh, okay, well, and no, when, sounds right. Sounds. 
Sounds and legit. Then I would even say that there's times in the reverse of that. That's com- I completely agree. And then there's times in reverse of that where the script is almost trying to be too artful, where like they're talking about, I don't even remember the line, but I remember when he's showing her the photographs with the impressions of like the spirits of people because uh-huh. of the different um, chemical that he's, that he's overlaid uh-huh. to it. And I remember... I really should have written it down if I was going to comment on it. But, um, but I remember like he tells her something and he tells her, uh, something about the dead lingering or something. And she responds back with almost like a non sequitur. Like she's taken the conversation in a completely different direction. And it's meant to be a bit poetic or a bit like observationally sure. artful. And I'm just like, this is not a real, this is not a real conversation. Like I, no. if I were him, I would have been like, what? What do you mean by that? And why are you saying well, it Well, if now? you looked at the notes on IMDb, they reference, and this makes a little bit of sense here, some rewriting happening in in shooting. Oh, you know? interesting. Which, hear me, okay. I'm not, I don't think, what am I not saying? I'm not saying Guillermo del Toro is a lazy filmmaker. He's not. No, like, he's not. He's an incredibly not. competent, highly conscientious, you know, uh, visionary sort of uh, filmmaker, but sometimes we we get stuck drinking our own Kool-Aid and end up with, you know, lines like Loki at the end of the film when he's trying to not kill Hunnam. And he says with his, with his knife poised, he says, you're a doctor. Show me where, which is like the most unintentionally. That's what she said. Energy to it ever. Like, what are we even, what? (laughs) Wow. You just said, what, why did you say that? I mean, Mm -hmm. when the movie opens, read with, um, Maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe I'm channeling Flanagan here, but I think I'm channeling Devil's Backbone. When it opens with Edith, Edith's a ghost is X, a ghost is Y. I'm like, this. Come on. Like, oh, you, right, right, right. No, I understand. We've, no. Done, we've been here. Like Devil's Backbone. <laughs> this is what you did, and it's much better. Mm-hmm. Devil's. Ba- I mean, and I think that's the other thing is that I I feel like Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth explore similar aesthetics and similar themes in more substantially successful ways. Um, For sure. And I think that, um, like, that's the thing is, I feel like this is this is happening in real time, but I, I feel bad ragging on the film for what I would indict as a very weak script when the, when the production design is so yes. darn strong. Because the production design is beautiful it is it is really like i was just captivated by some of these visual representations and i do wonder if it was so much like so much attention to detail went into the crafting of the production itself right if the script was just sort of seen Which as makes like sense. like and yeah. i'm with you listen i i'm i'm being jokey about not waffling, I am trying to be committed in a choice and a, a perspective. Sure. But sure. I do think there's a lot to like, but when what is, tr- what is problematic is the script and the story. Yeah. Those are course. major players yeah, in, in how you take something in and how you appreciate it or don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because, you take a relatively, oh, sorry. No, you go. No, ahead. I was going to say because you've got, Again, like the go- the ghost designs look great. The ghost executions look great. They made a really competent choice. I don't know if you saw this of Doug Jones is physically in the space with the actors. Yes, like, right, like, of course, you know, there's CG wizardry happening, but they're playing off of something that's physically there. Correct. And right. 
the jump scares are great. But once it took that turn into, oh, these are just sympathetic ghosts trying to communicate something positive to her. Uh, okay, well, now I'm not really scared anymore. Oh, they're doing that, and now she's crazy. Like, that's yeah. effectively how the film goes. And and to your point, two of our mutual peers put this movie in conversation with The Shape of Water, and neither of them had great things to say. I kind of like The Shape of Water. I think it kind of knows too. what it yeah. is. It kind of knows what it mm-hmm. is. And... You know, Sally Hawkins is fantastic in that film. Um, yes, and she it's, is. It's yes. kind of it's kind of an interesting hang. I, mm-hmm. No, I agree. I'd be hard pressed to to give this one another go. I can other understand. than yeah. the Hiddleston of it, who I do think is great. It is such a weird feeling to admire and have such respect for Jessica Chastain as performer, and be like, ah, <laughs> you can get off screen now. Like those, oh, wow. that yeah. level of feeling would happen occasionally. It's like, okay, you're scowling mm-hmm. again. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why, like, another thing. So, so a couple of things that I would praise is I do really enjoy the climactic third, like, last 30 minutes of it. And part of that is because Jessica Chastain's character becomes unbridled and unhinged. Oh, yeah. And, yes. and that's great. She's yeah. really effective as the menacing killer in that last 30 minutes. Um, and, and so to your point, she spent an hour and a half brooding and sulking with only like a, a brief flash when she was making breakfast and found out that, um, you know, Tom and Edith had consummated their marriage. And so she's, she's angry in that moment. But that's really all that we've seen. It's sort of, it's sort of a, a spark or a fire. So when she goes just absolutely bananas in the end, it's actually really energizing. And it's very much sure. like, like those, those shots. I remember thinking, again, this is to the to praise of the production design, but those shots where she's like running down the stairs and she's been stabbed. So there's a little bit of like blood on it, but then there's this, you know, stark raven black hair, uh, with right. this, you know, rather like cream colored dress and everything. Like all of that is a really effective, sort of visual aesthetic and when she's reaching through the elevator to try to to try to stab Edith and everything a, a lot of those elements work extremely well it's just the 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 story that brought us there and the uh the getting there that are that that don't really fully earn it it's almost like that tries at the last minute to rescue a an otherwise kind of uh misfired storytelling well okay dynamic. see this is let me see what our runtime is here. Okay, we're doing relatively okay. But this is where every now and then you and I have, I don't even mean on pod, this is what I'm about to refer to, usually happens off pod, but I think is a fun mental exercise and or verbal rhetorical exercise is as I assess a movie like this, mm-hmm. which has a great energy and spirit behind it, has sure. a great execution of aesthetic and craft, but, and, you know, again, Mia might be a weak spot. It might be the script for her, but generally speaking, has a strong cast, but is really struggling on some other fundamental levels to me. Sure. Um, right. mm-hmm. what improves things? And as I'm sort of pondering this, like what, in other words, the question real bluntly is kind of what might we do different that would solve some of these problems mm-hmm. um i think own the incest thing early like if you're going there don't mm. don't um because what i'm trying to identify is 
You are absolutely correct. Jessica Chastain from Restrained, and I might quibble a little bit with her performance here. It feels more dour and sour than it does Restrained and okay, proper. Sure. Yeah, and so that isn't fun to watch on screen. You know, like, play something, make a choice. Um, far be it for me to critique Jessica Chastain's acting choices, but um, but I'm with you. The swing is so wild that I want to be bought in on how, oh my gosh, I didn't know this character was capable of this. Yes. Instead, Mm -hmm. in the actual viewing of it, I'm still like, oh, that's what's going on? Mm -hmm. And I can't Mm -hmm. really plug in. I'm buying in visually. I like Jessica Chastain, so I'm on board with the energy of her performance by the end. But there's something about, if you had told me in the film, if the film had told me more or less from go, one, I've got some time to just sort of like, okay, this is the story. Right. Because then right. what is what is interesting there isn't forlorn siblings trying to make good in the world. He falls in love and she's not happy about that for some mysterious reason. Oh, by the way. Right. Of course. Versus what might be interesting is, hey, these two are in a taboo relationship. Uh, they are sort of preying on women out in the world. Mm-hmm. what's different now is he actually falls for Edith. Oh, right. well that, right. That's kind of interesting. And mm-hmm. so if I've had time to sit with that for an hour and a half, then I'm more energized and more like, Holy cow. Lucille has lost her mind. Right. You know, right. No, I, get I, it. I don't know yeah. if that makes any sense, but no, it does. And I, 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 you know, I wouldn't even disagree with that. I do think that would, um, it would energize it quite a bit. I did feel this time around that, they needed to be at Crimson Peak from like moment yes. five. Yes. They needed to, you know, like show us what you're going to show us from the very beginning uh, in like maybe flashback or in some version yes. of, yes. you know, I ret- thought that multiple times. Yeah. Because I would we, rather just start at the house yes. and fill in some gaps. And this is, I'm totally sorry because I cut you off. But um, five minutes ago when I said, TV versus movie. That's yeah. what what you're identifying is what I was trying to extrapolate there, sure, which is of course. give me kind of an episodic nature of mm-hmm. Edith at this house, and now we're having flat. What is her life like before this? The way the film presents it, I'd not, I don't really care. But if you're, yeah, sure, if you're spooking me for an extended duration mm-hmm. with flashbacks of why we're anyway, I'm with you. Yeah, totally. no, no, absolutely. Um, so I do want to, for for time's sake, I do want sure. to to try to pivot over into what I do find interesting about the film's apparent thematic interests. Um, it, this is not going to be, and maybe doesn't even need to be. A massive conversation. Um, I, I I wrote down two things. One was a quote. One was sort of a general idea. Um, I I wrote. So this house in Crimson Peak is is falling apart beneath them on what by illusion is essentially a bloody foundation. The ground, the, like the floorboards, literally bleed. And the reason is because this this sharp red clay um, sort of gets mushy, and when it turns to mud and seeps in through the floorboards, looks very much like blood because right. it's just the color is a deep red, and um, so this foundation is is falling apart, and the ground literally bleeds, and out of what these characters call 
love that they call it that they have used people to literally try to continue to clutch on to a sinking foundation uh so that they can continue to maintain this uh possessive and controlling sense of what they call love and there was a line i've ragged a lot on the script i've i've beat up a lot on it and i think the script you know i i think i've tried to although very critical uh be fair with the script but there is a line that i did like a lot it's it's a little speech by lucille when she's doing the villain's monologue once all has been revealed you know she's doing this sort of obligatory i need my character to fall to to put the last puzzle piece into my trap. Right. So I'm going to monologue about all the things that everybody missed uh, along the way. And she says, and this is uh, Jessica Chastain's character, Lucille. This is her whole line. Um, she said, the marriage was for money, but the horror, the horror was for love. She said, the things we do for love like this are ugly, mad, full of sweat and regret. This love burns you and maims you and twists you inside out. And this is the line that really pinged me that I find, as much as I would criticize this film for, find genuinely interesting that this is the line and this is an idea to be explored in a story like this. It says, it is a monstrous love and it makes monsters of us all. And I found that interesting. I'm not going to... Uh, you know, heavily credit the story for this consideration because I think in the times we're in and everything else, this is probably one where I latched onto it and am bringing a lot to it. But it was interesting to me how they see no problem whatsoever with destroying these other women's lives just to inherit their dowries and continue to try to prop up a crumbling foundation built on uh, you know, bloody ground. Again, I'm calling it bloody ground. Sure. The the fact is, I mean, it's just that red clay. It's meant but, to. Well, yeah. Yeah, but it is. It well, is. Welcome meant to, to the metaphor. Exactly. Exactly. And the metaphor is a bit heavy handed, but but it's there. And and this idea that Lucille's character would have her thinking so twisted into believing the horror was for love, and that's the thing that. You know, like this monstrous love that makes monsters of us all. But she's embraced that. She doesn't say that with uh, repentance or with sorrow. She says that as a clinical reality of the situation. The right. horror was for love. The monstrous things we did was because this is a monstrous love and makes monsters of us all. And it it sparked my brain thinking i'm 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 not in this moment although i would invite your response i'm not in this moment going to spend half an hour beating a dead horse about the the idea of yes when our love what we call love has really been twisted and perverted by our desperate need to possess and control and that monstrous love which is in her words, ugly and mad and full of sweat and regret, full of bad choices and horrible, horrible efforts um, that has made monsters of us uh, when we continue to cling to that. She even, it, it's exhibited in the fact that, though I don't quite buy it as characters, when she finally 
realizes that like, oh man, Tom has fallen in love with Edith. She stabs him multiple times and including one gruesome time right that's in the terrible. face. Yeah. Um, and so that's the kind of thing that this, this, this thing is no longer love for her. You know, she says the horror was for love. No, that love has turned into horror. It is, it is, uh, monstrous. And, and it, it you know, that is, that's what she calls it. And it has made a monster of you. It has made you dehumanize other people around you. It has made you, uh, t- just to pervert and twist the, the efforts of trying to romanticize and court other people. It, it becomes, a pure means to an end and the ways in which what we would cite either on personal levels or religious levels, fanatic levels, political and national levels into whatever spectrum or arena you choose to overlay the metaphor when what should be properly placed and properly lived love and affection becomes this horrific possessive controlling thing it becomes monstrous and makes monsters of everyone involved everyone that would give sway to it everyone that would yield to it and um and again it's not as if i'm saying some profoundly revelatory thing it's just yes the the there are versions of what some would call love love of of person love of position Love of status, love of country, self. love of church, love of self. When in point of fact, how they live that out is they do horrific things and might say to themselves, well, this was for that, but the horror was for love. These horrific, monstrous things that I am saying and doing and propagating are for love. It's for, it's for, it's for love of church. It's for love of scripture. It's for love of, uh, country. It's for, uh, love of my kind. What, whatever it is. And these, this horror that I'm perpetuating in the world is for love. When in point of fact, and this, I'll, I'll just repeat it and then shut up. When in point of fact, that is a monstrous love, ugly, mad, full of sweat and regret and makes monsters of us all because it burns you and maims you and twists you inside out. That is my theme for Crimson Peak. But I think what's hard about that is that at least what you're identifying, and maybe I need to dig a little more below the surface, is that requires a level of self-awareness that is very hard to come by uh, for a lot of people embroiled in that sort of scenario. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot about... You and you and I in a text conversation recently, uh, some sort of oh, I shared a little anecdote, I think, and I think this was the sequence. And you identified in the story that I was sharing and decried, and I validated your having decried this kind of the what aboutism we live in these yes. days. And right, right, and I think a lot, and one of the reasons I'm very reserved for when I push hard on folks I'm not peers with, mm. if that makes sense. Yes. Is, and, and that's, that's relatively new. Um, in fact, who was it? 
somebody, my wife and I were chatting with somebody who I think like you has a broader breadth of folks represented in their social media. Mm-hmm. And my social media has been pretty calm just cause I called it a lot the last year plus. Right. And, right. and so we're talking to this third party who's sharing a story of, well, so-and-so said X and I, you know, got into this tete-a-tete and, and I was like, I missed that. I need, I'm <laughs> feeling like I want to pick a fight with somebody, you know, um, which is just wow. so unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally unhealthy. But good news is I have been more healthy in exercising these things. And, and where I'm going with this is just the, the, the ability, um, to, to enter into those conversations, it requires self-awareness. It requires being in a conversation with someone who may be in a Lucille position, which is not to say that level of specificity, but just a toxic version of love. Right. And calling that out is a near impossibility, right? Like, like, right. And so, and this is what I'm trying to get after this. What aboutism, this notion of it's not that, I just don't think it's worth the energy. I just don't know that what I would have two, three, four, five, six years ago called challenging is the version of energy that's meant to be spent. That's yeah. a really weird way of saying that. Does that make sense at all? Like, yeah. I think, I think there's just some, there's a different way. I don't have that way totally figured out, but holding that mirror up is only going to be helpful in some real particular ways right. for people. Right. And yet there's a lot of times we try to hold that mirror up in, in ways that just aren't effective. And and True. I, I'm not making a ton of sense right now. All I'm trying to capture is this idea of what's helpful about a mm-hmm. Lucille, which may be a script problem because your character's hyper self-aware about this is yeah. She knows it. Yes. The problem in the real is what you and I would identify as brothers in spirit looking at other things. In mm-hmm. other words, not necessarily identifying each other, though hopefully that if it ever got to it. What we can identify in others is what we might call toxic. Knowing how to get through to that is very hard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because of yeah. the layers of conditioning and... You know, I mean, gosh, this is why I asked a few minutes ago about the motivations presented in the film for why they're doing the things they're doing. I just couldn't quite recall it because it sure. was a little muddy to me. But, you know, these forces that are at work to mm-hmm. keep them, to keep Tom and Lucille in this cycle. Right. And in the same way, so to our world that has forces that impress upon us mm-hmm. to keep us locked in particular cycles. Right. Um. I don't know. I, I'm with you. Uh, it's it's hard to know how to engage those things uh, as a random anecdote. Well, because it's, um, it, yeah, well, because it's terribly futile to try to like th- this is going to be a bit of a strange analogy, but untangling Christmas lights requires a certain degree of patience and identifying precisely like tumblers and picking a lock exactly what where the threads are tangled you will not untangle christmas lights 
by aggressively just yanking them apart from each other. Yeah. They, they, they require a bit of finesse and persistence and, and unfortunately, like when someone's, when someone's so bought in on something that is, again, it, 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 it's a self-fulfilling trap because opposition to it is viewed as validation of it. Right. You are, you are right. opposing this thing. So clearly you are part of the problem because you mm-hmm. are, you are opposing this thing that I have so, uh, that I see so clearly and they don't realize how much the, the blinders have affected their trains of thought. I, I am going to be really careful in my words here. Um, and I cannot Don't remember. Waffle, Reed. I'm not going to waffle, but the, we have had a few conversations recently, both a couple of episodes, and you and I talk regularly, almost daily, either by text or sometimes by phone. So I can't remember if I shared this with you when we were chatting or if I said this before on pod. If I've said it before on pod, then listeners, please, please forgive me. Uh, for repeating myself, but it's very much on my mind. Um, recently, without going into specifics, I um, was privy to some conversations of a social and political nature with some members of my family. And they were fruitful, and they were hopeful, and they were uh, mature, and it was it was really great conversation. And then after I had literally two or three conversations of that ilk with these family members, they heard a sermon, and this sermon, delivered by a megachurch pastor back east, um, was widely shared throughout social media and was very bold and very blunt in some of its talking points. And this family member, one of the family members that I was speaking with, reached out to me and said, would you please listen to this because I want to know your thoughts. And the reason they asked me to do so is because it regressed so much of the productive conversation that we had had. Again, I'm Mm -hmm. trying to be specific enough that listeners can follow, but not like blast anything specific out. So we had had substantive conversations. This sermon comes up, a minister delivers his bullet points and it regressed this family member's right. thoughts and racked them with a certain degree of guilt and confusion about exactly what they should be feeling and thinking, right? So I pulled up the sermon as requested by this family member and began to listen to it. And Nathan, I got six minutes in. It was approximately a 35-minute sermon. I got six minutes in, heard the first two points, and then turned it off. For the sake of of not missing the point, I'm not going. You know, I'm not going to specify what those two points were. But I heard the first two points and then turned it off. Reached out to my family member and said, "Okay, here's the deal. This is not revelatory and new. It is baked into 40 years of entrenched language and entrenched perspective that comes from this place, this place, this place, and this place." And I tried to make that case to my family member, and my family member was like, was kind of hearing me and kind of receiving. But this sermon had come across as deeply compelling, and as deeply, you know, uh, uh, as if it had been thought through and sought out. And then this is finally what clinched it with my family member. I said, "Listen, I didn't hear the whole sermon, but I would put my paycheck on the table that their third point was this." 
And when I said that, and when I said I would put on the table that, that the third, their third point was this, this family member of mine paused, and you can see the little dots <laughs> in the text thread, and, and then they wrote back just, wow, because I had gotten their third point right without ever listening to it, had never heard it, and was correctly... Now, I'm not in this conversation with you, my friend, and to our listeners, I'm not touting myself as some wizard of speculation. Um, I am simply saying that when the language has been repeated and the roots are right. deep and right. they have dug their their they have dug in so deep for so many years it is terribly difficult to untangle those lights it is terribly difficult to speak clarity into that when you have been engaged in the monstrous love for long enough you will begin to believe that it is true and right and good and it is the only way that you can operate and navigate. This is the substance of delusion. This is the substance of um, coercive and, and brainwashing and gaslighting and all of the dreadful psychological things that come along in political, religious, and social thought. Um, and, and so we ourselves, so listeners might sit there and go, well, Reed, that's rather bleak. What are we supposed to do about any of it? I think the important thing you have to do is I think you have to really be cautious of anything that you would cite as ultimately definitive, unwilling to be challenged. I'll quote Roar for you, Nathan, that anything above criticism will soon become demonic. And the fact that we are so, I say we collectively, as human beings, we can sometimes be so resistant to challenging ourselves and so resistant to hearing out perspectives that are different from ours, it puts us in a dreadfully bad position to condition our thought processes in such a way to where they're not thought anymore. They're reactionary right. and well, they're conditioned. Can I throw out you a thought? So yeah, please. Something you're calling to mind here, because because you're you're drawing some a, a semi direct line between two points here, which is what you're you're trying to convey, and what was in my brain a minute ago about the what what aboutism thing is like. What it what does what does appropriate steps forward in a life look like in the presence of new data? Yes, of course. And it's interesting, as my own little anecdote, uh, there's like three or four years ago, three years ago, uh, my wife and I were on a rare date, and this one happened to be to a David Gray concert, whom we mutually love with yes. great affection. And, you know, as can often only happen in these these heightened moments of, of uh, time spent with that person in your life, my wife was being open about some new thoughts. She was kind of entertaining as far as perspective and worldview and, and, and actually could, uh, I think to my recollection, um, was a little concerned with how I might receive that. Okay, sure. You know, hey, I've, I've been thinking about X and, and maybe think a little differently about it, but I haven't been sure how to convey that. And, and I'm, I'm going to, it's coy and it's cute, but it is what I said in the moment too. And, and I was like, well, I think my Christology is big enough to hold that cosmology. Um, mm. But the point I'm trying to get to here is 
uh, as, as cutesy as that sounds is they're, I will say this with full self-awareness. I'm not good at a whole lot of things in life. You know, hmm. I'm not, there's just, I don't have very many hard skills is what they're called. Right. You know, I'm not handy. I'm not, you know, I'm bright. I don't, sometimes I think I'm smart. Sometimes I'm not sure. But, um, one thing I do think I'm good at is incorporating and adjusting to new information or mm-hmm. truth in a, in a more is the, is the point I'm trying after here. Sure. Right. Of course. And, and, and it's interesting to me. So like in that scenario, my wife shares this thing and like to the, to the, uh, person who is weaker at doing that, what mm-hmm. she was sharing could possibly have been pretty heavy and, and yeah, of course, you know, borderline catastrophic in terms of just how you take in stuff and how you modulate that into your own experience. What is interesting to me and if there's any value to derive out of the themes you're scratching out as they relate to the film specifically, right. Is what happens when Lucille tries to incorporate new data, new truth. Mm. She loses her mind. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think there's something to be taken away there as I try to assess like, okay, people stuck in toxic streams. When you challenge those streams, you better pull your hand back quick or you're going to lose it. Yes. Absolutely. Lose the hand. It gets violent. And, and right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and so what you're talking about is so you, you, you mix some interesting metaphors there of the Christmas lights and the lock and tumbler, but both of them work. Either of them can work. Uh, <laughs> sure. But there's truth there of like how much delicate indulging is required to try to navigate out of those toxic streams, to try right. to pull others out of those toxic streams because, because dang man, we are not hurting for toxicity. Mm-mm. in this day no nope. uh and and i don't want to operate as one who thinks it's a lost cause to even try to combat it but it takes a great deal of wisdom it takes a great deal of contemplation discernment mm-hmm. meditation to humility, humility mm-hmm. to enter those rhetorical spaces mm-hmm. and damn come out alive Yes, of course. Really? No, absolutely. And I think I think some of it's verbal, like it's it's actual conversation. Some of it's emulation and 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 example setting. You know, mm-hmm. it's a mix mm-hmm. of the two. But it's tough. And yeah. and I, I you know, last thing I want to do is have Jessica Chastain screaming her head off flowing robes and hair and knife wielding and going nuts. No. But that's a really no. good metaphor for a lot of what's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, and you know, the just violence of yes. emotion, violence of, of thought, violence of attitude, um, vi- just violence of spirit. And it is, um, it is, it's, it's, it is very troublesome. Um, and I think we ourselves, yeah, I, I, I think, I don't know why I feel this impulse, but, you know, I, I feel the impulse as we are pretty much, you know, at our last probably one or two statements of just saying, you know, like you, you have to avoid that downstream because 
if you spend too long, when you condition yourself in such a way that you are not challengeable, that you are not able to be disagreed with, that you have locked in on any version of things which says, well, I, well I've arrived at this. And so I've, I've, uh, I've, I've got this well in hand and nothing else can challenge this and nothing else can confront this and nothing else can, uh, can come against this. Um, that, that might be the first step in a swim lane that where the walls get higher and higher and the path is tighter and tighter to the degree that you will suddenly not be able to find your way back or not be able to find any sure. sort of path when you realize it's a dead end. Um, and you realize that, that, and, and so I would just encourage each and all of us to, to hold our convictions with, you know, profound understanding that they should always be, be, we should always be willing to allow our convictions to be challenged because they will either stand up to the test and prove themselves valid and true and worth further substance. Or they will crumble for the house of cards they were. And, mm-hmm. and both are a very good thing. It is a very good thing when convictions are pressed upon and found they can hold weight. What a yes. great thing that is. And what a great thing it is when what we touted as conviction crumbles like dust because it was, in fact, illusion. And it was, in fact, deception. Um, and, and may we all reach the place to where we are willing with open arms to allow our presumptions to be challenged and to allow the things that we might adamantly feel are the case to be um, attacked and unraveled lest they become a love that inspires horror rather than promotes goodness and and engenders uh, well-being and wholeness and faithfulness in the world around us. I think I have think i have reached the the end of my uh the end of my little soapbox you've stabbed um, us in the face there it is yeah that just stabbed you right under the eye there um <laughs> so um you want to go to the the fog let's do or do you, okay. let's okay. go to the fog Let, delay no longer read no longer we no shall longer. not delay no any further no uh, let's go to the fog meter. The fog meter is our particular brand of uh, ranking metric, if you will, um, measured in two specific uh, metrics, that of fear and that of God. How, sub- how scary a thing was, how substantive a thing was. Um, Reed, I will let you go first on the fear measurement. So I really like the my favorite, probably my favorite part about this, except for Jessica Chastain's wild ride near the end, I think uh, my favorite part about this are the ghosts. The ghosts are just are just wonderful in this, and so I'm going to give just it. Analogize Jessica Chastain to Mr. Toad. I did. I did. Oh, okay. Go wild ahead. ride. <laughs> Man, I wish I had time to tell that story. Um. So anyway, the um. So I, I'm cutting to the chase. I'm going to give this a six on the fear measurement because I love those ghosts. Um, and I think they're really effectively rendered overall. Not, you know, not a lot to them beyond that, but I'm going to give it a six. Um, I will join you in your six for fear. 
I think my concern is, and it's interesting, this is your second go round. My concern is the jump scares would be less effective a second go round. I'm with you. The visualization of the ghosts are fantastic. Um, Mm -hmm. The general macabre energy of the whole production contributes a lot to that six. Sure. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's, but there's a world where were I to watch this again, I think I might ding that down a little bit. Um, I think on God, you know, I just, I just don't think there's much there. I think, yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of decent pieces that don't form into a cogent puzzle. Um, without being overly harsh, I think I'm going to go with a, a three on substance on God. Okay. Yep. Uh, uh, comparable. I'm going to land at a four for yeah. pretty much the same reasons. I feel like it's, um, there's not nothing there, but I feel like what is there rarely moves past seed. It doesn't. It it doesn't dig its roots. It does not uh, bear fruit that much. It's not terribly cohesive. I think there are the seeds of things in the text, um, but I think they they don't grow beyond seeds very much for me. So that means that uh, we give collectively a four and a half out of ten to Crimson Peak, directed by Guillermo del Toro. Um, but uh, perhaps a trickier question, as always, is would you recommend Crimson Peak to people? <laughs> I sit here for three hours later just waiting for you to I know, that. I know. Hmm. Well, well, hang on. I'll tell you what. I'll, I always <laughs> ask the question... <laughs> I'm going to go first. watch it again real quick. <laughs> okay, I think I've got an answer. I think I've got it. Go ahead. Um, I, I'm going to go first. I know I asked you the question, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say I think there are better Guillermo del Toro films, and so this, this is not a recommendation for me. I will say that if you are very fond of his work and have not seen it, let the completest in you see it, because the production design is holy cow. And and the, the, the visuals are almost worth sitting through it, particularly if you are fond of Guillermo del Toro's work. That having been said, ultimately, I, I don't quite recommend it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, that's that's not me saying yes to recommending it. Uh, yeah, yes, sure. I'm yeah. affirming you uh, and seconding you. It is a... It is a purely for the completist, whether you're like, I just love Hiddleston. I just love Chastain. I just love X performer who's in this. I just love Guillermo. That's a reason to watch it yes. beyond that. I didn't. It, it is. I, I'll, I will say this. It's not like garbage. I didn't hate oh, not the watching all. of it. Right. I just ultimately it was just like, ah, eh, well, that was fair i guess sure uh, so, right, so no, right. i don't i would not say go watch crimson peak i would say no. watch pan's labyrinth watch hellboy watch good lord i mean pan's again labyrinth. i like shape of water watch shape of water um yeah those are much better uses of your guillermo time nope agreed agreed so that uh puts 2015 of hashtag 2020 2020 in the books so, really, I feel like, you know, after such thin, hollow, surfacy, and superficial conversations, uh, I think we, we really need to dive deep next week. Hmm. So, um, and by what so, means, what, what do you mean, Reed? Oh, well, so we're covering next week, uh, 2016, the favorite horror films of 2016, uh, uh-huh. listener voted, uh, for next week. Um, and, uh, per the placement on the list, of this 
Um, we are going to be covering the You're film working. starring <laughs> what? You're working hard for this one. I am. I am. Um, <laughs> we are going to be covering starring Blake Lively. It's The Shallows. We're going to be covering The Shallows. Next Man, week. Man, we should have we should have well, saved. Next week, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, I'm just next week we are firmly going to be in the shallow. Ah, that sounds like we should have saved Abby's. Uh, <laughs> what you're watching for that one? Maybe we'll bring it back. <laughs> that is funny. So yeah, so we will be in the shallows next week. So um, check that out again, starring Blake Lively. Um, and uh, and yeah, so that is going to be our featured coverage for next week um, as we unpack the top ten listener voted favorite horror films of 2016. Nathan, thank you so much as always for having this conversation. Thank with you, me. friend. I really appreciate it. Um, listeners, thank you so much for for hanging with us, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on Crimson Peak if you have them. And I, I I think there's some some fans about it. We'd love to hear what you love about it, and maybe even come to its defense a little bit if you feel that's necessary. Um, but as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and to be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest news and episodes or for merchandise and to contact us directly. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God, on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music, and to Tyler Smith at morethanonelesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.